I know we've only got a little bit of time. Not that we're on time here, but I don't want to keep you very long today. You'll be out before three, I promise. No, my dad used to say that. I didn't like it when he said it either. I thought, you stayed at three, bud. You're going to be there for two hours by yourself. <laughs> my stomach starts speaking in tongues about an hour and a half in. <laughs> Uh, but something that's been on my heart for some time now, and I thought I was going to start this series several weeks back. I sort of alluded to it a few times, but um, I've not been able to, not that I'm trying to get away from it, but it keeps coming back, and I think now's the time, is the idea of fathering those without a father. I want to speak today about fathering the fatherless generation. Fathering a fatherless generation. I love revelation and I love miracles and signs. I love to hear the sweet lady that the Lord took the two spots off the back of her head. I love that. I love that God does those things and he's into those things. But we have to be careful in churches like this that we don't major so much on just that that we miss what we're having influence in our culture at large. You know, it almost, we almost become a subculture, you know, uh, in, in our churches, and you know, it's almost like we're in a bubble, and it's wonderful what God does in here. And it's wonderful that he gives us revelation because the revelation of him is always good. And it's wonderful that we're able to worship together and just love each other and let the peace and love flow between us. But if it's not touching culture, then, then really what is it for? I know that's just challenging a little bit to hear uh, because we've heard incredible revelation in this church for years and years and years and years now. As a matter of fact, it's easy for people like me... For, I've been to places where they just try to out-revelate each other. One preacher gets up one night, and, and it was wonderful what God says through him, and you're like, yes, that's great, that's great, that's great, it sounds so good, this is so cool. And the next night, the next guy wants to get up and outdo what the guy did the previous night. Before long, we're like, what is this all about anyways? If it's not changing culture around us, what good is it? The thing that Jesus did, if anything, was when he spoke and when he ministered, things around him in the culture changed. And it started small, it started in seed form, but he was, he was the beginning of a kingdom that'll see no end. But I believe that miracles and signs and wonders, they flow and they happen as a product of worship and healthy, healthy, a healthy living relationship with our spiritual father, our heavenly father. But for so many people, the idea of father comes with pain because we always seem to project on the Heavenly Father our expectations or experiences of our own earthly fathers. When that relationship is broken, it is nearly impossible to understand why He loves us and therefore wants good things for us. God is not a distant, abstract being that may or may not want good things for us. He is a good Father. Brennan Manning said the revolutionary revelation of the ministry of Jesus was the principle that he's our father. When the disciples said, I want you to teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Say these things. Our father, 
Not my father, our father. He included everyone who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the prayer. We all prayed it. We prayed before basketball games, before football, when we were still allowed to, and before football games. And it's, it's repeated because we know the words. But how powerful was it that he looked at a bunch of people and said, he's your father, not just warring king and not just like this far off distant father that we understood. Israel always sort of understood him as father, but not a personal almost calling him daddy. Jesus was so personal with the Father. And he wanted us to understand him as being touchable and relatable and a daddy, not just a father. Through the Gospels, Jesus makes more than 150 references to God as Father. For the Jews of that time, this was a way of addressing God. And while Old Testament writers sometimes describe God using qualities of earthly fathers and sometimes mothers, Jesus referred to God using informal, intimate language. He literally called him Daddy. Abba. He also invites us into this relationship, teaching us to address our Father in heaven. And until we settle within ourselves the reality that He is a good Father, we may never experience the rich inheritance that we have as His sons and daughters. Now, probably about two years ago, uh, I, I was driving home. I don't even remember where we were with Elizabeth. And it, it, I'd already been thinking about it, been stirring in my heart. But the idea of, uh, I, I coach basketball. And I coach baseball. And I have coached softball. And I coach soccer. And, uh, and I try to help people, uh, train people up with music. The two things that I loved growing up were music and sports. And so if I have anything to give to the generation following me, I hope that I can give the love for sports and understanding what is behind that. And also maybe a love for music and train people on how, especially with, with, with worship dynamics, how that works and how that flows together. So I want to ho hopefully leave the next generation better off um, even than I was left and take them to another level. My ceiling should be their floor. But I found that when I'm coaching basketball, probably a good 60 to 70% at least of the boys that I've coached in basketball and soccer don't even have a father that lives in their home. It's true. Yesterday before my basketball game, I went into, we, we by the way, I just would like to say we just went on an undefeated uh, championship. We did not lose this year, not one time. No team came within 16 points of us the whole year, and that was yesterday in the championship game. It's not, yeah, for goodness sake, I was trying really hard, trying to pump you up. And uh, one of my players that's here today will be, uh, was, was announced as the MVP of the league, who, by the way, this is his only second year ever playing the sport. I looked at my team yesterday. We went back behind the thing, and I, you know, when you spend three days a week with kids for, for three or four months, if you don't get attached to them, stop coaching and stop being a part of their lives because something is wrong with you. Just stop doing it. You're not called for that. <laughs> but me, I care about, I don't care if we win or lose. I like to win. I do like to win. But that's not the bottom line. I tell my parents when they bring their kids, especially at a young age, I said, I do not coach your child to win, to win games. And they all looked at me like, what? I said, I teach them the, how to play the game appropriately, how to, how to be a teammate, how to respond, you know, to, to negative things that happen, how to respond positively. And hopefully the byproduct of that is we win games. And it, it, it served me well. And I looked at these boys yesterday, and I know for a fact there, I know there are some of the boys whose fathers are locked in prison. Some of them have never even met their biological father. And I got a little misty-eyed, like I'm doing right now, and I said, I want you to know before you take this floor, I don't care if you win or lose this game, to me you're a champion. 
When I said those words on my knee in front of these little boys, there were about six of them that immediately began to cry. Because all they really want is for someone to believe in them. Of course, there's always going to be more talented or less talented people, depending on what sport or what. Everybody doesn't play sports. You know, you don't, your kid doesn't have to play a sport to be, to be talented. Some, some children just don't like sports. They're into drawing or they want to play in the woods. And that's fine. But all they really want is for someone to believe in them. And I said, you're all champions. And I told them I loved every one of them, and I do. I said, I love all of you. And I said, if you happen to win this championship today, I said, all it's going to be is telling that crowd something that I already know about you. For five of those boys, it's the last time I'll get to coach them. And I've coached them, most of them, since they were third graders for four or five years now. This is my 12th consecutive year coaching. I hung them up yesterday. It was my last, my last game. That's the way to go out, right? But I know for a fact several of those boys don't have a father in their home. I told Elizabeth a couple years ago driving home, I said, there's something that's raising up inside of me. I want to make a difference in these boys' lives. Well, it's really quiet in here. Should I have preached on something else? We're okay? You thinking? I just want to make sure your your brains are smoking, I think. Is stuff coming out of your ears? I want to give you some stats that I read, and this, this actually comes from the United States government, so take it with a grain. Before I read them, I want to say I'm aware that many that hear this live in a home with no father. To you single mothers who are doing everything you can just to make things work, you are to be commended. Please don't ever take anything that I say. Absolutely, yes, for single mothers. If you come from a single home, you're not less than. And if you're being raised in a single home, you're not less than. And if you're a single mother, you're to be commended because you're having to wear hats you were never even supposed to or designed to have to wear. So for doing that, God bless you and you're to be commended. This is in no way condemning or judgmental of that. But the, the, the stats are, gonna, are staggering. Nothing will take the place of a person's healthy relationship with his or her father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. This is from the United States Department of Health and Census. That's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. That's 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Nine times the average. That's from the National Principals Association report. Fatherless children are more than twice as likely to drop out of school as children who live in a home with a father. Look, and if you're an estranged father, this is not judgment. These are just simply stats. I'm going to talk about the Heavenly Father and our role in becoming fathers to the fatherless. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. This is not, these are not Christian stats. These are government stats. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. That's 10 times the average. 
Now, if that's not enough in itself to hear those stats and say the common denominator and the common factor in all of these issues is fatherlessness, then I, there's nothing I can do to prove this point more. Fatherlessness. It's an epidemic. The only thing I hear is that heater. <laughs> it's getting hot up here. Are you guys hot? You are hot? Thank you, God. Abigail, pull that thing in there and unplug it. Those are staggering stats. We've come to accept fatherlessness in our society. In fact, many in, the, in, in our society celebrate that. And that's just because they're full of the devil and they're full of themselves and full of demons and think that that's okay. The reality is that the same spirit that energizes fatherlessness in, in the United States today is the exact same spirit that provoked Cain to kill Abel, that provoked Pharaoh to try to destroy all male-born children two years and under, that provoked Herod to try to destroy all male-born children two years and under, and it's the same exact spirit that energizes the, the, the ugliness that sometimes we see manifest in politics that says it's okay to murder babies. 42 million babies murdered. The leading cause of murder in the world last year wasn't cancer, it wasn't wrecks, it wasn't suicide, it was, it was murder, but they call it abortion. Now, if that offends you, I'm sorry. We'll pray for your heart later because if saying abortion's murder offends you, then you need to be offended. You need to get your heart right. And when for somebody, and for, for the, I'm not a political person. You never hear me speak politically up here because I understand we have people on both sides of the political spectrum that join our church. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not partisan in what I say, but and when it comes to life, there's absolutely nothing to defend murdering the defenseless. So don't get mad at me. And if you get mad at me, I love you anyway. So I'll still pray for you that God will help you to see the truth. That it's not okay. The first thing that's always brought up, well, what about in terms of rape? Here's what happens. When, when there's actual rape, when there's actual rape, why, don't, why is there not, there should be stricter, stronger punishment for those who are going to rape. And I mean, if it's cruel, it should be just as cruel and unusual as rape is. I'll just leave it at that. If we actually dealt with these people that are, and I'm not talking about a boyfriend that is 18 that has a girl that's 17 and they have, they have sex and, it's, and, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. But if a man or a, bo or a woman takes advantage of a little boy or a little girl, you, they don't ever see the light of day again. Never. Never see. Make, make the punishment so fierce that they will not dare try that stuff. But when you get out in five years and you're able to, to take the innocence of a little girl, that's, that's what's wrong with our system. But it still doesn't make it okay to murder a child. And what happens is it's, uh, this, whole, this whole generation, this whole culture is just say, let's just begin to accept as norm that we have broken families. We're always going to be broken. We're always going to be fatherless, and it's okay. And because of that, we're just going to live and do whatever we can possibly do. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, great. But who cares? And what happens is those little boys that never hear their fathers tell them how proud they are of them, they grow up to be men that do sometimes atrocious things because they're still trying to find out why they were not valuable enough for someone to love them. I could call some names. I won't do it because then you'd really stone me. I could call, you might not, but some people would. I could call names of some people in, in the history, and I would walk, you would know them well. If I told you what happened to those little boys, it might make a little more sense some of the ugly, ungodly things they did when they were older. And it's not an excuse for what they did, but it's because something, something was missing when they were a child. 
I said this, Mark repeated it last week, and the Lord gave it to me. He said, inside of every man is a little boy, and inside of every woman is a little girl. And he, he was speaking to me directly, and he said, Joshua, if you can ever learn to speak to the little boy inside of a man or the little girl inside of a, inside of a woman, you can help them heal. Yes. And it's 100% true. Because all of us need to feel like someone is proud of us. Well, this isn't super spiritual. This is not revelatory. And yet, this, is, this, is, this would touch more people in our culture than any revelatory thing I could bring to you today. That's one reason why it's vitally important to be aware of your child's influences. Listen really closely to me. You're going to get really mad at me, but that's okay. I love you anyways. If you, if you allow your child to listen to and watch just anything they want to listen to and watch, you are not doing your job as a parent, and you're certainly not doing it well. I do not have perfect children. So let me, let, this be, let me preface everything with this. We raise them well, and we do our best to try to keep them from, from some of these influences. There's no way you can shelter them 100% from every bad thing that's ever going to happen. I'm not suggesting that. What I am saying is you need to be involved. And if you're just letting them watch anything that comes on TV, you're not doing your job. Because, listen, it's bottom line. Whatever they feed themselves, that's exactly what they're going to regurgitate. And if you let them feed some of the trash that I've heard on the radio and some of the trash you see on TV and you wonder why they haven't had to, well, you allow the demons in their heart. What in the world? It's your job to keep those devils out. And when you're just giving them free access to your children, you are failing as a parent. I can't believe you said that. Well, fast, fasten your safety belts. It's going to get a lot better or a lot worse, depending on your perspective. Well, my kid's 14, or my kid's 16, or my kid's 17. Exactly, or my kid's 18. Stop making excuses for not doing what God called you to do. That's going to be tight for a few minutes, and then we're going to get back over here, and you'll love me again in five minutes. But for right now, this needs to be said. Stop making excuses for your children. You know what? They don't even want you to make excuses for them. I promise you when they're older, they will thank you for saying, you will not watch that in this house. You will not listen to that trash. I refuse to let you feed your brain with this poison. And if you're doing it, today's a good day to stop. You can go home, go to dinner and say, look, I love you. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. Before I want to be your buddy, and that's the problem, a lot of us, can I say this? A lot of us generationally, we still never got what we needed. And so instead of being a parent, we want to be accepted by our children. And because we want to be accepted by our children, we allow our children to dictate the circumstances by which our relationship operates. Look, I I've, all of my kids, I've told them many times, I want to be your friend. But I don't care if I'm your friend right now. You might not like me, but you're going to do what I say, and you're going to respect what I say, because I've got 41 years of living experience, and I'd like for you to bypass a whole lot of the crap that I had to go through. Can I just say the word crap? That I had to go through. And if you're making excuses for your kids, well, I did it when I was, well, then don't let them do it. Let them learn from your mistakes. For God's sake, don't cause them to repeat it because, well, I can't, I've had parents that have said to me, well, I mean, I got pregnant when I was 14. What can I say? You can say, don't do it because it almost killed me. By the grace of God, I'm still here, but it don't make it right. Well, I mean, there's some, they're, they're toying with beer and pot and drink or whatever. You know, I, but what can I say? You can say don't do it because it's dumb. And it, and it leads to destruction. 
Well, I mean, I mean, it baffles me for a parent to literally say to me, what can I say? You can say, God put me in your life because he chose me to steward your life well. It is your job as a parent, if no other job, it's not to be liked by your kids, it's really not even to be loved by them, it's to steward their life well because you do not own them, you are stewards of them. God is, is the owner of all of us, we all belong to him. You don't own your children. I was going, Jacob was in the bathtub when he was really young. My dad, as you know, as many of you don't, was 6'3", and my dad had us, start, had Tony, he was 19. He, was just, he had just turned 22. My mom was 21 when she had me. Had six kids by the time they were 25, 26 years old. So they grew up with us. My dad, was, and my dad did not have a good father. He didn't. My dad's father was an alcoholic that abused him. His mother was an alcoholic that abused him that died when he was 18 or 19. I only had about a two-year or three-year living relationship with my grandfather because he was an alcoholic, such a raging alcoholic that we didn't want to be around him because God knew what he would say or do. This is, this is my, my father changed that and broke that. Thank God he did. That was a curse that he broke over us. But one of the things that he never understood and never learned was how to father well. So he actually learned on us how to father. A lot of the things that I'm able to do now, I do because of the mistakes he made with us and the successes he had with us. I think I had the best father that's ever lived. So that, that needs to be said. But my dad was a, was a domineering, very dominant, very militant. I said, do it now. You know, I mean, it would get in your face and like scare you to death. Like, okay, I'll eat the rest of the Pop-Tart, you know. I mean, it's not, it's not like I was drinking at 15, you know. It's like this much of a Pop-Tart. I said, he didn't eat it now. You know, okay. And Jacob was in the bathtub. He was probably three or four years old. And he was pitching a fit about something. Probably about a new haircut he wanted I wouldn't give him. I really don't remember what it was about, and I had had all I could take. And I went in after him, and on my way in the bathroom, the Lord spoke to me so clear. I'll never forget. He said, don't you dominate him. He does not belong to you, you or you don't own him. You are a steward of his life. Yeah. And I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was just doing what I'd always seen done. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, all I really want to do is just jerk this child up and just beat the wheels off of, you know, do what I said to you. And he said, whatever he learns from you is going to be what he projects on his relationship with me. So you need to father him well. I, it, I cried really hard and thought, oh my God, I thought I was. I didn't know that dominating a child is not the same as fathering a child. It's okay to draw boundaries and draw lines. And believe me, Jacob understood by the end of our conversation, this is not allowed. You're not to do this. And it's funny because all parents, if I'm, I'm one of six, Rebecca never got spanked. She's the youngest of all of us. I got spanked just in case I did something at the end of the day, I just got a spanking just to make sure that, that it was, and I probably deserved it, or as, as they called it in the South, where we, I got a whooping. Every night I knew, you might as well look at the clock because it's whooping time because I know I did something. If I didn't do it, I'm going to get blamed for it. I was never abused, but boy, I took my share of whoopings. I took my share, and I took Holly's share, and I took Carrie's share, and I took Rebecca's share. Me and Tony and Jeremy, we, we, took, we, took, we took the lion's share of them. I'm sure that I deserved at least 30% of the ones I got. <laughs> no, no, no. 
No, but as we've gotten older, the, the Lord has taught me how to father. I'm not suggesting I'm the greatest father that's ever lived. That's not what I'm saying. But what I've understood is I don't own my children, but I do steward them. I and it's my job as a steward to know what's going into them, to know what they're pumping their brains with. Look, let me tell you this. You may not believe me, but just so you know, the, the United States government, thank God for the United States. I'm glad we can worship freely. They are not for, and they do not care about, by and large, the well-being of you and your children. They're not for the family unit at large. They don't care about that. As a matter of fact, depending on which way you lean right or left, they probably do better when the family's broken than they would ever do if the family's a single, good, healthy unit. Because this government has turned into something that wants you to depend on them for everything. They want to become God, and they want to become judge and jury of everything that happens in your life. Our forefathers fought so that this kind of nonsense that's happened today wouldn't happen. It is the truth. I wish to God, you know, let us live our lives. You're here, the, not the Bible, the forefathers created a system of government that was supposed to serve the people, not the other way around. They benefit from poisoning your children. Look, look, my mother was a public school teacher. I went through public school. I loved it. I loved school. Not always because I went through some stuff. But the, the, by and large, a public school system is not, for the, is not for the spiritual well-being of your child. Half of what they learn is indoctrination. Well, I knew that would get quiet. I'm not judging you because your kids go to public school and my kids are homeschooled. I'm not judging anybody. I went to public school. My mother was a teacher there. That's why I brought that up. My aunt was a, was a teacher there. And I know many of you work in the school system. I'm for the school system. What I'm telling you is half of the stuff you learn in the school system has nothing to do with reading, writing, and math. It's indoctrination and trying to teach you and brainwash your mind to depend on a government that you don't really have to depend on. I have people that work in the school system right there that are shaking their head. Are you shaking your head because you agree? Exactly. It's 100% true. It's not, the, it's not your, the principal's job and it's not the teacher's job to raise your child. It's your job to raise your child. Amen. Wow. Ooh, this, this, got off to a, this got off to a wonderful start, Lord. <laughs> I hope everybody comes back next week. But if you don't, it's the truth anyhow. And so back to, back to where I was the father. So parents that need to be accepted by their children instead of disciplining and stewarding their children. I do not suggest beating your child to death every time they do something wrong. As this, that's not what I mean. But the Bible even says that the father, the Lord, chastises though who he loves, which means he always brings correction. But he, to put, the idea is to put you back on the right track. It's not you're so angry that you just got to take it out on something. That's not discipline. That's abuse. That's not discipline. That's abuse. If you're angry, you should probably let your anger pass and take a few breaths before you discipline your child because you're going to risk, you're going to risk discipline them in anger. On the other, the flip side of that is don't, because you become angry, give yourself time, but still deal with it. Otherwise, you're going to raise your child believing that they can do whatever they want to do and get by with it because you're not going to deal with it. And neither one are right. It's, it, they're both off balance. Oh, man. All right, let's say, let's say a prayer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hollywood is rancid, and the music industry is after the mind of your children. I'm not a conspiracy theorist per se, although I do think there's some truth in a lot, behind a lot of conspiracy theories. The, the word conspiracy theory was concocted by the CIA to make people be other than or sound weird whenever they thought something that wasn't the normal, the, the normal status understanding in, 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 in the community. Did you know that? Literally, the C, that's a CIA term. You can look that up. Because anything that would challenge the status quo, well, you have, if we make them sound other or weird, 
then we can just say they're fringe and they're weird. But there's a lot of truth behind it. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I'll say Hollywood is not for the well-being of your child. And the, and the music industry does not care about your child becoming a whole person. What they want to do is control your child. And 90% of the trash they listen to today, you wonder why they're having sex when they're 13 or 14? Why don't you go turn on some of the ungodly, ridiculous lyrics that come out of, well, it's got a good beat. So I, they just listen to the beat. No, they don't. They hear the words, whether they listen to them or not, and they are influenced by those words. It's very true. I, it, as, as a teenager, I, some of the songs I thought out that I thought were over the top back then that I didn't want to listen to, but I heard them, I knew what they were. The stuff today, I don't even know how, they, how it qualifies for music. It's just downright disgusting is what it is. But because it's got a good beat, they'll listen to it. And the enemy understands because if I can get a good beat, then I can put in their minds the words that I want in their minds. Because what happens is it repeats in their minds. You don't lose that stuff. How many times have you, have you woken up, anybody, with a song, and it might be a good song, on, a song on your brain? It happens. It's the way we're created. Well, if all you listen is this trash and trash and trash and trash, look, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not a crazy conservative that says only, for God's sake, I'm not asking you to go listen to nothing but Southern Gospel. Half of that's just as much trash as the other stuff I'm talking about because it makes you believe everything good God wants for you is somewhere in the by and by. That's, that's just as bad as some of the other stuff. That's, so the, don't, don't, don't think that I'm trying to get off balance of what I'm saying. What I am telling you as parents, you are, you are, it is your job to steward your children. And if there's something going into their, the, the t, God didn't give you a TV to raise your child. And he didn't give the switch to raise your child. And he didn't give the PlayStation to raise your child. I love basketball. That's my favorite sport. I love, think it's the greatest sport ever. The reason I like it is because you can play it when nobody else is around. It's hard to play soccer by yourself. Go out and hit a baseball, pitch it to yourself, get home plate and hit it, and run out in the field and catch it by yourself. That is not fun. But you can shoot a basketball by yourself. And my boys love NBA, so I would let them play NBA Jam, buy them the new one every year, until one day I sit down and listen to the trash music that some of the songs that are on that game, I'm like, I cannot believe that this snuck by me and got into my house. It's ridiculous. I'm like, this has nothing to do with basketball, but because it's got a beat and it's from the rap genre, it's accepted. It was total, utter trash. I'm thinking, is there a way that I can get decent music onto the NBA game so my kids can still play it without hearing stuff in their brain? I said, so I, I told Isaac, I said, you're going to stop playing it. The game might be fun, but it's, it's not worth your mind. And yes, my kids have PlayStation and my boys have a Switch. So if you have that for your kids, I'm not saying that you've done wrong. What I'm saying is if they're playing that thing five or six hours a day and you've had 20-minute conversation, something's backwards. Hollywood's rancid. The music industry does not care about your children. Don't tell me it doesn't matter what your children listen to. Garbage in always equals garbage out. Behind all of it is a spirit at work. As I said before, it's the same spirit that tried to kill Moses, same spirit that tried to kill Jesus, the same spirit that would like to take the minds of your children in this fatherless generation. And once a child's mind has been poisoned, it will take the spirit of God to change him. So what's the answer to the epidemic of this fatherless generation? Can it be fixed? I believe that it can. Somebody has to just believe that it can. Without having the answer to how, we just have to believe that it can. Somebody's got to step out and say, yes, this can be fixed. We do not have to accept this, this, this ugly, fatherless, as no, it doesn't have to be normal anymore. Will it take a generation to fit? It may. 
I would love to be a part of the generation that changes the values of America back to what they should be when we, when we value family and we value time and we value time around the table. Not suggesting cook, but one of the most valuable things you can do is sit around a table with your family and just commune with them on a daily basis. Even if you're not a good cook. Turn off the TV for a couple hours and practice cooking. Anything you practice, you get good at, including laziness. Isn't it crazy the way God created us that whatever you do over and over and over again, you'll, you'll do it well. All right. Can it be fixed? It can, but it will not happen through government systems because they do not want you to live whole and well outside of them. They like control. It just is what it is. Look, I pray for those in government. God knows somebody needs to. They look like a bunch of spoiled brats most of the days anyways. Well, he took my pacifier. Well, she took my rattler. And my God, they're just fighting back and forth. And back and forth. Like, would you all just shut up? God. And that's what our children watch, and that's how they act. And we wonder why they act that way. Well, you got the leaders of your country that act the same way. And lest you try to put a name on what I just said with leaders of your country, I didn't put a name on it, so if you did, that's your problem, not mine. The only way that I believe culture is going to be changed is when the culture at large receives the revelation that we all are children of a good father. When we're settled into the reality that Father loves us, that He's for us, that He's not against us, that He loves us so much that He would rather bankrupt heaven than live eternity without us. That might sound cliche-ish to you, but it still rings true. He cares for you, and He cares about you, and He loves you, and He's not a distant Father. He's an ever-present Father. He's right there, the Bible even says, closer than your next breath. And he cares about the things that you care about. And he is, look, just in case you didn't know, God is not off put whenever you do something bad and say, I need to talk to you about this. It doesn't scare him away. No good father is scared away by the bad behavior of their child. Instead, they want to be more involved to help them not reproduce something bad in their own lives. I'm going to finish this up. This is just my introduction, I suppose, today. And he is an ever-present helper who is with us. A father is not just procreator, but he's an involved daddy. For many, the revelation of a good father is only going to become a reality as godly men and women step up and mentor and love this fatherless generation. This is a call to action, fathers. Men in this church, this is a call to action. I promise you, I do not have time to coach basketball just because it's fun to watch a sport. I coach basketball because I know that when I look in those little boys' eyes and say, I love you and I care about you and I can teach them values, and I love the fact that I cannot believe in 2019 it has to be brought up that more than half my team is not, are not Caucasians. And I look at them and say, and they see a white man that's in his 40s saying, I love you and I'm proud of you. Because unfortunately, we still have a bunch of knuckleheads that I don't know why skin color matters. It never really mattered to me, but apparently to a lot of people it does. But, to hear, but I can make a difference in these kids' lives. I have Hispanics and, and Asians and, and African Americans and white boys on my team, on my soccer team and basketball team and, saw, and baseball team, and look at them and tell every one of them, I love you. I believe in you. You're champions. You're good. 
You're good at what you do. God, man, you're, God, you're, I mean, even when they have a bad game, I just hug them and say, man, you, you, did, you competed so well. We had a kid on our team that, is, that couldn't hit the net with a basketball. And I ain't going to lie, the first time I saw him, I'm like, why is this boy on my team? What can I do to get this kid off my team? Because I'm trying to go get a dub here today. A W, a win. And the Lord said, you can influence him for the good. And so I called all my team together. And I said, here's the deal. I said, Jay, I said, this guy, Jaden's joined our team. He's never played before. I said, we're going to encourage him, and if I hear one person say something bad about him or make fun of him, you're going to run suicides. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. You know. Yesterday, we won a championship game, and the MVP, of the, league, the MVP of the league played for my team. He came out. He did not say, well, he did later, much about the champion. You know what he, the first thing he said to me was? Man, Jaden almost scored today. That was awesome. That's what he said to me. Not, I scored 16 and I have 113 points in the season and I've only played two years, but there's not a kid in the league, maybe David, that can guard me. I had to say that. <laughs> he cared about the fact that the little kid who could barely hit the net with the basketball almost scored, and he would have, it just kind of fell off the rim. He's still not a good athlete, but he's a good kid. And he was accepted as one of us. He was a part of our little family. I told us I went to Antonio's house two weeks ago after our game. And I always just kind of pick him up every single day. It was funny because every, every practice I would go and pick up, there would be another one I want to jump in the car. I'm like, do your parents know? Yeah, she's right there. It's okay. He can go, honey. Okay. All right, get in. <laughs> you know? And the next week I'd come pick up, pick up, and it would be Antonio. Now it's Antonio and Caesar. And there's a kid named RJ. And I'm like, do your parents know? It's okay, honey. You're good. All right, I'll hop in. And before I know it, I had to tell my own kids, you can't come with me to practice. Because I got like <laughs> I kids from the, from the neighborhood to go ride with me to, you know, and I, I like for them to come. Two weeks ago after our game, Antonio had just played. Just on a, he's just a different level basketball player. And I went and I pulled in his house. And at his house, they were, his grandparents were who he lives with were sitting and some people from the neighborhood and they were, the, the people from the neighborhood were drinking, they had a fifth of liquor with them, half of it was gone, they're staggered over and I thought, you know what? I wonder if they know how good this kid is. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to go tell them. So I got out of the car, I walked up, I said, hey, how you doing? They had never met me except just to see me from a distance. I said, I'm Josh, I'm Antonio's coach. I said, just want, I want, want you to know, it's been my privilege to coach your kid for the last few years. Do you, under, do you know how good he is? He said, what, Tony? Tony O? I said, that kid is the best basketball player in our league. What? They had no idea. Oh, man, he is good. And then, of course, the, the two that were, they're visiting. Oh, yeah, Tony. That's good, Tony. You, you saying Tony can put, Tony's, I said, he is incredible. And little, grandma, little grandmother got a tear in her eye. She said, well, I might just have to go watch a game. I said, you should go watch a game. I said, I don't know what he's going to do after this season because I can't coach him anymore unless I take an A. And I said, but I'll tell you this, and I meant this. I said, if you'll keep him in basketball, if you ever need money or shoes or stuff like that, I said, please contact me. I promise you, I'll pay for him to play. He's too good not to be playing. He's too good not to be playing. <laughs> Elizabeth and I many times have taken bags of clothes to different kids on our team. I probably paid for half the kids that played for me over the last several years. Or finally, they started doing the scholarship thing at the school. Baseball and basketball here, I'm just paying for them because I want them to play. I'm not, this is not pinned on, but you know what happens is when a child knows that you love them and believe in them, I have two little boys, they, they call themselves, yesterday when I'm giving out my medals, I've been coaching a kid for four years now, and I, and I had to call their names, and I said, this is Jewel's Daniel's Bunton. <laughs> I tell them he's my kid, and they're like, well, he don't look like you, and I said, that's what makes him more special. He's the one that started calling himself Bunton. Where's Xavion Bunton? He's here somewhere. 
So this is a challenge to you that are good fathers, are good, are good men, step up and be, and be a mentor. Believe me, there are hundreds if not thousands of millions of boys and girls out there just waiting for someone to believe in them. And it shouldn't matter what color they are. And it shouldn't matter if they're poor or rich. And it shouldn't matter what their culture is. What they need is for someone to say, they may or may not see the Father heavenly appear to them and say, hey, I love you, but he can do it through you. When I went home yesterday, I actually cried a lot yesterday. Now, I didn't cry just because of bad. I mean, basketball means so much to me, but it means so much to me because I get relationship with these boys. And uh, I was walking through my hallway, and the Lord spoke to me. I wasn't, he said, do you know that what you do with those boys throughout the week and on Saturdays matters just as much to me as what you preach on Sundays? When I get down on my knees and pray with those boys before every game and look at them and say, I love you, and I believe in you. You're champions to me. The Lord said, that, that's just as much ministry as anything you've ever preached behind a podium. We think ministry is, is what happens on the stage. This is the least of what I do in ministry. This is far and away the least of what I do in ministry. <laughs> when he said that to me, I just got choked up and thought, gosh, what if we all, what if we all just became a, a visible uh, uh, illustration of the Father to every child that we come in contact with? the ones that don't look like us, the ones that we don't like. Sometimes it's challenging. It's, for, for me, I don't like obnoxious children because I'm one of six and I have six. And obnoxious in my house just wouldn't work. Obnoxious is the only word I could think of. So if you have an obnoxious child, God bless you and God love you. But that's not my thing. I don't like that. I, don't, I want a child that listens and doesn't, you know. I mean, you've all seen the videos of the little kid that slaps the mom. You know, on Facebook. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. It's infuriating. It's one or two, th you know, because uh, now that kid, I think it's okay to abuse. <laughs> no, no, no. no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I don't like obnoxious kids, but, you have, but I had to learn a place because I've had, I've, had a, um, I've had two autistic kids on my basketball team. I've had a kid with Down syndrome on my basketball team. The first season I, that I ever coached in my life, with Jacob and Eli and Gabriel. None of them were any good. Jacob was decent, but not very good. We had a kid named Elijah. He was the only one that could shoot. When Eli got the ball, we, we would yell, he and his dad both, stop! <laughs> Don't dribble, because if you do, it's going up here, and it's a turnover. And we're like, what can we do? Joey's like, I think he could play defense, so we made Eli the defensive specialist. That was the title we gave him, because he was so bad. I can say that now because they both start and all the sports they play now, they're like superstars. But when they were little, they were not superstars. They were absolutely horrible. And but quite frankly, Gabriel was obnoxious. And Eli wouldn't look at me when I coached him. Several, he'd watch the other team. Finally, one day I said to him, what did I ask you? <laughs> I said, do you want to play for them or play for me? And the Lord challenged me, you have to love those two. The only thing that I vividly remember, I have two vivid memories of Jacob and Eli and Gabriel's very first season. The first one was Jacob threw up a half-court shot one time that counted. And the only other thing I remember was this little kid who was autistic, whose name was Chandler, whose mom and dad thanked me every practice, almost in an apologetic way for coaching him, scored his very first and probably only bucket of his career. And I ran out on the court and picked the kid up, and every parent in our sidelines cried because of little Chandler that scored his point. I don't know how many games we won or lost, and it doesn't matter. I know we went to the championship and lost in the championship game. 
But the thing that matters to me was that look, do you know the thing that Chandler's gonna remember about me for the rest of his life was this coach Josh and this coach Joy believed in me and helped me and coached me like I had my baseball coach who was here last week. I told you about him, who drove across town, two towns to pick me up so I could play baseball. Who, what, who can you influence? If you have no children in your, own, in your own life, who can you influence? I can tell you, just look around, there's plenty. Volunteer, love. Yes. Yeah, they do. And right here in Statesville, right here in Statesville, right, right around where you are, this is needed. Psalm 68 says, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice and be glad. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt him or before him. He is a father of the fatherless. That's who he is. And he's calling for men and women to stand up and take your rightful place, men, as leaders of your home and the daddy your children need. Like it or not, the job description is most of what the children, most of what children believe about the father, it's about the heavenly father is going to be what they see from their natural father. And if you're mean and vindictive, they're going to believe that's what God is. If you're absent and not available, that's what they're going to believe God is. But if you're involved and you speak into them and you love them and dare I say it when needed, apologize to them. God, I found myself doing that. That is something my daddy did not ever do to me. <laughs> did he? Was he ever wrong? <laughs> it was a hard thing for me to learn because, you know, we always like to be right. Be available. I'm going to finish, my, finish this, then I'm done here. As for many of us who have influence on the lives of children, whether through coaching or teaching or whatever, you have power. It's real power. You have influence. It's the power of influence. The number one way you can empower a child is to help him or her believe in themselves. The four most powerful words a child will ever hear are five. five I am proud of you. Because a lot of children here, I love you, and they don't believe it. But you tell them you're proud of them? It's empowering. It means more than just I love you because a good father loves uh, even children when they are wretched. But I'm proud of you means I'm not ashamed to be identified with you. It means I take deep pleasure in your achievements, and we all want to make someone proud. For those of you that are here today and have experienced the pains of living without a father or with a broken relationship with your father as we finish, William, just come to the keys real quick. I know we're, we're, we're closing up. I know I'm a little over my time. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm a lot over my time. My goodness. Thank you for bearing with me. We want you to know that you're loved and accepted and you're powerful beyond your wildest imagination. 
If you come from a home and you didn't, you, some of you probably never even met your father. I know there are some of you that haven't. You're not less than. You're not imperfect. You're, you're perfectly loved. And on behalf of the ministry of Jesus Christ, first I want to apologize that we've not been more involved in your life. And secondarily, I want to extend my heart and my hand and say if there's a way that I can help you, even if it's just a hug, that's what I want to do. For you dads that have, that have made mistakes or that maybe you haven't been as involved or look, there's grace for you and God loves you. I want to challenge you, get involved right now. And it doesn't matter if your kid is six or 60. You're always going to be that child's daddy. If circumstances prevent you from being able to be a part of their lives actively, then, then go to war for them in prayer. Don't let, them, don't let a day pass where you're not on your knees saying, Father, this is my child. And I refuse to let the enemy make him or her believe that he or she is less than what they're going to be or what, they, what they're called to be. If you're under the sound of my voice and you lived in a home without a father and you still feel the pains of what that was like, I'd love to talk with you or sit with you and pray with you or cry with you or just listen. I'll do all the above. Let's all stand. But this... This Statesville being synonymous with the glory, I believe for that because I know the Lord spoke it. But that's just not just angel feathers and gold dust. That's fathers being present in their children's lives. That's mothers being present in their, in their, in their daughters' lives, sons' lives. That's going to look like us volunteering and saying, you know, I believe in you and I love you. It revolutionized the way that I thought when the Lord, I, I started crying. I said, I wouldn't tell Elizabeth. I couldn't even tell her I was crying so much. I said, you know the Lord just told me? He had the audacity to say to me when he told me that what I did with those boys was just as valuable to him as what I do up here behind this podium. Go make a difference in somebody's life this week. Fathers, if you're estranged from your children, try to get into contact with them. If you have a father you haven't talked to in years, call them. Tell them you love them even if it's a stretch. Father, I thank you that you are my father. And I thank you that you've taught me, especially over the last six and a half or seven years, how to lean into understanding that you are more than father. You're my Abba, my daddy. You care about and are concerned about the things that concern me. Lord, I pray that as I've challenged these men in this church, that there would be some in here, Father, that would take very seriously, God, the call to help father this fatherless generation. Lord, I'm probably crazy, but I believe that we can change the tide of this culture. I refuse to believe anything less. That every child, Lord, that comes up in this church will know they're fully and utterly and completely loved and accepted. Not just children, but that men that are here, that stand here today, Father, and have a brokenness inside because of a broken relationship with their Father. I speak healing and peace, and I pray that the oil of gladness comes up in their heart. And those fathers that are in here, Father, that are separated from their children for one reason or the other, I pray, Father, that you bring the opportunity for restoration, whether it's now or in the future, Lord. That no child will feel like they're less than or beneath, Lord, because of an absent of, absentee father. Help us to take our responsibilities uh, seriously, Father. 
as dads and moms. Help us to be more involved, Lord. Help us to be to turn the TV on less, Father, to turn the games on less and to be more involved and to communicate with our children, to commune with our children, that we can raise good citizens of a good kingdom that know that they're children of a good father. I thank you for that. Help us, Father, as we begin to unpack this over the next few weeks or however long you want me to do this, Lord, that, that you would put a seed inside the hearts of every person in this place, Lord, to do whatever it takes to impact the people around them and to help them know, one, that they're loved, two, that they're loved by a Heavenly Father, and in whatever way we can to be an illustration of that love. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God love you. I hope you come back next week.